everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Brazilian point of view. My name is Ana and I'm here to tell you the real truth about Brazil. So this is going to be like the fastest intro you've ever listened to just because the episode is so good. I don't want to keep you here on the intro, but basically for this episode I had Elena Bell. We talked about the time that she worked at Vogue, which was about a year. And she talks about the work environment there, similarities between real life and The Devil Wears Prada. And honestly, it's such a good episode. I loved editing it, even though it gave me so much work just because I didn't want to leave anything out. And that's why this episode is a little bit longer than the other ones that I have here on the podcast. But anyway, I really, really hope you enjoy. First of all, I just want to give you a trigger warning for anxiety, depression and suicide. And second of all, please make sure to follow, subscribe and review this podcast and make sure to share with everyone you think might like it. And without further ado, let's get to the episode. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. I was so I was genuinely so excited when you reached out. It sounded like a really fun use of my time. <laughs> yeah, I think it it's going to be a great episode, really. I think it's going to be so unique, so fun. So for starters, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. So um, hi, everybody listening. My name is Elena Bell. I am 27. I was born just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Well, actually, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, but I lived, I grew up outside of Boston. Um, and now I live in Manhattan, New York. And, um, and um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I thought that it was, it was good, it's going to be so cool to record an episode with you because you posted on TikTok that you worked at Vogue and uh, you talked about how was the work environment there and we all watched the Dove and we're Sprata, so all yeah. of that. So uh, my first question for you is how okay. the hell did you get a job at Vogue? I honestly have the same question. Like I, I don't even, like on a, on a genuine level, I have no fucking idea. Like. <laughs> I hope, I hope that swears are okay. If they're not, please delete it. Oh, but, yeah. Okay. But like, I, on, so on a, on a, on a feelings level, I have no idea how I wound up in that position, but on a practical level, I had very good experience. So I graduated from uh, a pretty good, like competitive college and went right into working in publishing and I basically worked in the exact same position that Vogue then hired me to do at their brand. So I was coming in with really good experience. It's a really high pressure, uh, high intensity position that does require, you know, some learning ahead of time if you're going to jump into a brand like that. So I was definitely well prepared for the job. One of the better prepared people in the business my position on every brand. Um, so I, I just remember, um, I, I mean, I never wanted to stay in Boston. I always wanted to leave, but 
I was too nervous to like pick up and relocate to some city without a job anchoring me there um, because I was paranoid and scared to, you know, take that risk without something that's going to ground me. Um, and I was just applying to a bunch of different jobs and sort of seeing what fit. And to my surprise, not Vogue, but Condé Nast got back to me and said, oh yeah, you seem like a pretty good fit for this, which at the time I had applied to the same job at GQ, not Vogue. So they were like, oh yeah. And then a couple of weeks later, they were like, oh, that's closed now, but it's open at Vogue. Like, will you, you know, please, you have good that's experience. That's so funny. Like you didn't even apply so for I, that and then you ended up at Vogue. Even. Exactly. And honestly, like, I think that my personality, like, this is what I thought at the time, at least, I was really nervous to step into Vogue, because I felt like my personality fit GQ more. And in some ways, I was right. But in other ways, it's all about how the brand wants you to perceive them. Once you get inside of a brand, they're all much more alike than you'd actually think, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it was super serendipitous because I had been, I had been contacted slash I had contacted them for the same position at GQ and ended up getting hired for that role at Vogue. And I think that they thought I was an attractive candidate because of my experience, because Vogue is they would say the hardest brand to work at, um, just in what it demands of you. And um, also the fact that I already was super interested and already had a lot of knowledge about fashion. So it wasn't like I was a complete fish out of water. Like you do need to kind of know what's going on from a surface level to be able to get in there and like understand the work that you're doing. Um, so, cause like someone could just like throw around a designer's name. And if you don't know, then you might think that that's like a client coming in or like a new person. And it's like, you know, you got you have to already kind of walk the walk and talk the talk to like get in the door, I would say. Um, but yeah, so I would say it was a, um, a three, three, three split between pure luck, good experience and um soft skills so yeah. like my ability to kind of fit in with that crowd from the beginning I don't think I would have been able to get through the door last as long as I did if I couldn't do that and how old were you when you got the job I was 22 oh that was very young I know it was yeah. really, I was really young. I also just, I was young going into school. Like I, I graduated college at 21. Um, I've always been young. Like yeah. the, I, was the, I was the last person to get like my, to get legal, like in college. Like I was you know, always the person they were sneaking into bars and stuff. No, I'm kidding. Allegedly, allegedly. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I've always been young. Um, the youngest in my family. And so I'm kind of used to that, but I was also the youngest person there at that time. So I 
kept that bit to myself. I kind of like let them know afterwards. I was like, bye, by the way, I'm 23 now, but I was 22. Bye. They were like, wait, what? You're so young. But um, yes. So I was 22 when I got the job. I left when I was 23. I was there for basically a calendar year. Yeah. And like, yeah. did you have a hard time adapting to the work environment because you were so young and it was Vogue and... I don't know, did you have any support from your coworkers? How was that? So I, it was very difficult. I did have support. Um, there were a couple of really good people on my team that we all sort of occupied similar positions that served similar roles in the company and that were under similar amounts of pressure. So we could kind of lean on each other, get help from each other. Um, we were all pretty similar in age and experience. There's still girls I'm friends with today. And um, they were great. We also had other people that we could kind of like talk to in corporate. Like if there was a issue more with the job that I wasn't sure if I was supposed to, you know, talk to this person or that person or how to navigate things like Vogue is owned by a publishing company. So a lot of the resources that every single brand use sit at that level. And so sometimes it's just the way things work where you're going to have to go through corporate. Um, and sometimes that was nice because you do get like, a third party perspective on yeah. maybe what would be uh, difficult or some, you do get a perspective that might be difficult for someone inside the brands to see. Um, so I had support there, uh, but, and I also, um, when I, I took the job, I ended up kind of immediately starting therapy for the first time because I I couldn't I couldn't live without it anymore like I um I very vividly remember it wasn't even anything in particular that made me spin into a panic attack but I've my entire life I had dealt with anxiety and depression problems and um I just was always functional and smart enough to kind of power through it but it did get to a point where you know, you're operating at like 99% capacity. And like, if it goes over 1% level of stress that day, you're just sent into a tailspin. And then you realize like, oh God, maybe I need to talk to somebody about this. So Vogue was enough stress to get me to that breaking point where I realized that I had a problem. And so I actually started going to therapy and taking medication for my now diagnosed um, clinical anxiety and depression. And that was also a form of support that I would not have been able to, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I would have lasted as long as I did without a therapist and talking to somebody. Um, but I also don't think that I would have been able to pull all of the good that I did out of it without talking to a therapist either, because I, I took so many incredible priceless, irreplaceable things from that experience, but it was also very difficult. And like the, the, so many people in life have these 
just super nuanced experiences that you can pull good and bad stuff from the rubble, but it's difficult. You have to work through and parse through the rubble. And so, yeah, I, so I had, you know, professional help. I was starting to see a therapist, um, which I still do to this day. I'm a big fan of therapy. Um, and I also had some close friends that I made uh, while I was working on the brand. Um, but we were under a pretty insane amount of pressure um, because of the nature of the position that we were in and also because we were easy targets. You know, some of the youngest people at the brand, newer people at the brand, you know, it's easy just to pass the buck down to the person below you. So that's what I would say about that. Yeah, honestly, therapy carried me through a few internships. Um, therapy is just so good. I think sometimes it's so underrated. I think people think that you have to be so, so, so bad to get therapy, but not even that. I think if you get from starters and you are like kind of fine in theory, mm -hmm. then it's going to be so much better because there were times that I, I worked in this really, really, really toxic environment. I would get home and I would just cry, like look at myself in the mirror, oh my like God. all this yeah. dramatic thing. And then honestly, therapy would get me through it. Again, got yeah. me through it for months. So I totally understand. It's so that. important. It's so, yeah. I mean, like I, I, I think picking apart pieces of my past and my brain in the present it's, it's so valuable. And I hate that there is a stigma around it because I think I've gotten smarter since going to therapy. Like, I think that I genuinely am smarter and I understand myself more and that's like the most freeing thing ever. And so yeah, not to get on a tangent, but if anyone is listening to this and has been wondering if they should talk to somebody even once, it feels really good to get things off your chest, you know? And if it feels like it's helpful to you even one time, it's gonna feel helpful, you know, the next time and the next time. And then you'll go until it's not helpful anymore and you stop. But it bums me out so much that there's this stigma around like getting help and that you should be able to push through it yourself because we're not designed that way. Like yeah. humans are pack animals, you know? So we should be able to lean on each other. Um, when we need to. Yeah, and work pressure can really get to you. And I remember when I was in college and then I would study and then also had an internship and I was like pure, it was pure desperation really. And I had these two friends that they also went to therapy, which was really nice because we could really talk about it without yeah. being judged. Cause I have no idea why people judge each other so much for going to therapy like it's so amazing I, I just don't get it and then funny enough our therapy was at the same day it was like on a Tuesday and then every Tuesday we would low-key celebrate that it was therapy Aww. day because it was like oh thank god I cannot handle this week anymore I have to go talk to someone and then yeah no yeah. that's like it's so great to have friends like that like I have friends that we didn't go to, we didn't work together, but like from college now that we're like, 
I get to talk to Betsy on Wednesday, like gonna go ahead and unleash this week's bullshit <laughs> on her. And it's like, yeah, we should be normalizing this. It's like, that's their profession. And it helps you a lot to be able to process stuff and work stuff out verbally, or at least for me, it, it does. Because I, 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 I couldn't do it anymore. I had, I had a couple of panic attacks at work and I went outside and I just remember picking up the phone to call my parents because I was looking at the oncoming traffic. And for a split second, I was like, I could just walk into it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh my God. And I, I called my parents and I was like, I, this is, I have to, there is, I need to do something like, I can't even believe that. So I do credit that stressful situation for allowing me to see that some stressful situations require external help. You don't need to do everything by yourself and it doesn't make you any less strong. Um, I think I grew a really thick, tough layer of skin and armor going through that job and being in that position. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without seeking help in the first place. So that's a very long-winded five-star review of seeing a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Please do it. (laughs) It's awesome. Yeah, honestly, nothing like like you seeing your progress over the years because I've been with my therapist for six years now and it's insane Mm -hmm. when I look back like oh my god that was me and now it's amazing and if you have a good therapist which I do recommend that everyone seeks for a good therapist you can really see progress and you can only get better so it's absolutely amazing totally yeah I've been at it for five years and obviously you need to get a good relationship going with the right person. But once you have the right person in that relationship, it's just, it's, I can't, I cannot recommend it highly enough. So uh, another question about Vogue, was working there as glamorous as people think it is? And uh, like everyone wearing only designer clothes, I think everyone thinks about it just because of the devil wears Prada. Yeah. I think all of the questions uh, they come from the movie, but that's. I mean, it's kind of expected. Really like when I work, reference. yeah, yeah. It and when I worked there, I used to get these questions all the time. Like, um, in hindsight, I think it makes a lot of sense that people ask about Devil Wears Prada all the time because when you keep yourself as an institution so tightly knit, and then there's like one glimmer into it, like you as an audience member want more. The fact that they're withholding makes you want more. So I, and I feel that way about just the world of fashion too. Like if we talk about it openly, maybe it'll get destigmatized and maybe people will, you know, lower the egos a little bit. But to answer your question, I would say that there were definitely times when I worked there where I was like, oh, fuck, I'm in the fucking movie. Like, there were definitely times. Like, there were times where I would look up and I would see, you know, six really well-dressed editors and the celebrity just, like, chatting on their way to a meeting. And I'm like, 
well, and I'm like 22 at the time. So this is my first brush with New York. This is my first brush with anything like that. So there was a lot of times where I would look up and just sort of get starstruck. Um, there were a couple different floors, at least when I worked there for Vogue. And if you were to walk around the editorial floor, it's like walking through the magazine. Like people are very well-dressed, um, very on trend. That room with all the clothes exists, but I um, didn't really overlap with it when I was there. Um, I actually overlapped with it more after I left um, because it's just, it's you're only really gonna use that room if you need samples for a shoot or if you're doing a product review. And so it's, it's just, it didn't, I was on the business side. So it's not like I really needed to be there. And if you don't need to be there, you're not allowed there. So yeah. um, like there were some times like later on in my career where I was still at Condé, but I would work on projects with Vogue and I'd walk by the you know closet, look in and see a model just like trying on shirts. And I was like, oh yeah, I, this is like, some, like there, there were moments like that where I, you know, I'd look into one room and see the Met Gala seating chart, or I'd look into, you know, another room, see them like getting Anna ready for uh, interview or whatever. Like there were snapshots where I was like, "This is cool. This is a movie." Um, there were way more snapshots though <laughs> of it being not very glamorous and really really hard I mean I I think maybe my story would be a little bit different actually no I don't even think so because I think that people all across the brand no matter what position they held at any fashion brand I think that there is a ton of pressure that just circulates for kind of no reason like um but I do think that there is a bit more of this like almost enforced cutthroatness on the business side oddly enough. Um, I think because there's dollar signs involved and these are business minds and business thinkers and, um, you know, it, at least for me, like what, what I was mostly concerned about every day on the job is like, you know, are we getting all of this ad revenue in? Are we, um, you know, are we gonna, like it is basically like, is everything happening the way it needs to for us to make our money? Like that was basically the sole purpose of my job. And so yeah, that's, that's a pretty a stressful situation to be in. Yeah, that's a very stressful situation to be in, especially when you're young and you understand the digital marketplace more than your boss might or more than your boss's boss might. Like it's just, it's a very evolving field. And I was in a very just high pressure so it's like job environment so um there was a lot of not glamorous stuff you know I was oftentimes first in last out um I rarely took lunch I um you know my apartment in New York was basically just an expensive storage unit with a bed in it like that's all I was doing um was just coming home to sleep and the only reason why I didn't sleep in the office is because the lights never turn out so um you know I, I had I had thought about that you know so and I wasn't alone 
you know, a lot of times those girls I'd mentioned earlier would be first in, last out with me. But, you know, it's hard when you're working kind of nonstop to feel like the occasional, you know, Prada bag makes up for it. You know, like it was, it had its sheen for a little bit and it, it definitely always did, but eventually it becomes a job, you know, like, and that's, I think one of the craziest things about like, like my TikTok went viral out of fucking nowhere. I did not expect any of this to happen, but my friends remind me that I am so desensitized to my own life that you know, this is what happens. You, you get, you might live through a situation that's kind of unique and crazy and wonderful. And because you lived through it, you're like, oh, that's not a big deal. But everyone was like, huh? So I think a lot of my experience there, I was working so hard. I became desensitized to like the glamor of it. And, um, I also think that you will become desensitized to the glamour of it to, you know, see anything as a profitable market or a non-profitable market. Um, you know, I, I think I don't work in business anymore, um, but I'm really happy I did because now I have like the business mind to run my own business. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, if you even think back to like your first job in high school or you work at like your favorite ice cream store, like eventually the ice cream starts to taste kind of bad. And it's not because it's any worse. It's just because you're used to it. Yeah, because so, it's a job. Above all, is a exactly. job. So it's, yeah. Above all, it's a job. I needed it to live. I needed it to survive. And I needed it to propel me further in my career. So I was under a lot of pressure that I think might have rubbed off the sheen a bit quicker than maybe if I wasn't but I also think that it's a job I mean if you come into work every day expecting it to be like the movies you're not gonna last like anywhere you know like because there's a lot mm -hmm. of places that have stories about them and they're just stories so it's it's different to you know I'm telling like the you know the top line of what was essentially a ton of grunt work, not a lot of it being very glamorous. So, but I also don't think that that's unique to me. I think that that is unique, or I think that that's just what you're gonna expect anytime you take a job, maybe in an industry that you previously admired. You're gonna see it differently if you work inside of it. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned about people thinking it is like the movie. So what are a few similarities to the movie, The Devil Wears Prada? Here is what I will say. I genuinely don't even really know the storyline of the movie anymore. I only know the things that people call out to me because they happened in the movie. So like, because I haven't, I mean, I've gotten like, you know, oh my God, Andy, I've gotten that for years, you know? So, and it's, so it's just like, oh yeah. Huh? So, I mean, I think that like the things that I mentioned in my TikToks that some people were like, oh, that's unique are sort of like the more like mannerisms 
of working there and sort of what it's like to work in the office. I think that the movie got a lot of that right. Um, I think that, you know, the a part of it that they definitely played up is the free stuff. <laughs> like that, <I> mean, <laughs> that definitely applies to a certain level person, but Am I going to be getting free stuff just because I work there? No, not if I can't give you something in return, you know, like the free stuff isn't free. It comes with mm, press. It with a price, with but it's not money. Yeah, exactly. So that's, I mean, and it, that's not super funny and sexy. It's more funny and sexy to have like, you know, Emily Blunt and Anne Hathaway strutting around and all of the most recent stuff for free, but um, they also, that portrayal is from the editorial side of the business and I wasn't there. So I can't speak to a lot of what's in the movie. So all I know is sort of based on what people have told me over the years and what that is, is that it seems to be that the environment that I describe yeah. is similar to what was portrayed. And so that I'm like, okay, if that's the conclusion that you come to, then fine, because that's your conclusion. I now have this like, you know, I have my own weird experience that is mine and it's my own storyline. And then there's the storyline that's portrayed in the movie. And then there's the storyline that's portrayed in the book. And there's gonna be things that overlap and there's gonna be things that don't. And I think that that is normal for stories, you know, there's, differences and it also when you make a movie out of the story you're gonna pick and choose the best parts to turn it into something that is palatable so I think that they do get the vibes right yeah a lot of the specifics I think are fabricated like something I mentioned in my TikTok is like they're not just fucking sending people to Paris like <laughs> you know you gotta <laughs> you you they're not just like giving out tickets to Paris, you know, like that they, it's a business. They're sending people that need to go there to view a fashion show or, you know, to, to, to inspect a garment, you know, like there's, there's reasons behind all of that. So like, um, you said that you went to therapy because of the pressure of the job and everything and you stay there for about a year. So mm -hmm. how was it the time that you really thought and decided that you had to leave Vogue because it was like, what happened and what did you think about it? How was it? I knew going into the job that I needed to put my head down and be there for a year um, because I was new in my career. That's what everybody was telling me. You gotta have you know, at least a year under your belt. I would have loved to last longer, but the truth of the matter is when I was getting up to that year mark, I was already planning, you know, my next move. And I loved the company. I just knew that I wasn't in the right position. And like throughout my time there, I was doing one job, but you know, you're, sitting in the middle of this creative institution like I picked up on all of this other stuff and one of the questions that I kept kind of like asking and kept wanting to answer 
was more out of a place of frustration because I would see like a business come in and be like, we want to, um, we want to do business with Vogue. Like can Vogue produce like a piece of content that works and we'll put our name on it. And then, you know, they produce something, they come in, they say what they want, they produce something and it doesn't turn out the way that everybody wants it to. That's called branded content and content strategy. And I just kept getting annoyed by how it was being done. And that told me that I needed to get into it because it's one thing to be like, oh, that's happening, whatever. But I was, the annoyance told me that I had feelings and opinions about it. And so I then was like, huh, okay, content strategy. Let's see what I can do with that. And so I eventually moved over to a central team where I was basically doing content strategy first for business purposes only, and then for editorial purposes only. So by the time I left Honda, which was two years after I left Vogue, I was working on, um, I was actually helping brands produce better content based on who was coming to the site to read their content. So if, actually, no, I'll give you a good example. So a couple of years ago, you know, like BTS, the K-pop group, yeah. Okay. So a couple of years ago, they were just starting to get into United States mainstream and data was showing that that would be an interesting thing to do. So like I could then look at, oh, BTS is coming to America. All of these young people are interested in BTS. Maybe you should do something with BTS. Maybe you should talk about Korean fashion. Like so you're using data to inform an editorial strategy so that you're using your resources correctly. And that is like what I ended up doing there for all of the brands at Conde, um, not just Vogue. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And I would not have figured out that I wanted to do that had I not spent a decent amount of time in the industry and absorbing what's around me because I I figured out that I cared a lot about this thing and I don't think I would have done that if I wasn't privy to it literally every day um so I'd say the moment where I knew I needed to leave is when I saw that job the content strategy job on a central team I was like I have to I need that job like that's the team I need to be on. And it worked. Like I moved over to that team. They were a great fit. I stayed on that team for the rest of my time there. And I think I was a much better use for the company in that position too. Like I was much happier and much more productive and doing what I would consider much more effective stuff. Um, so, you know, overall it's a, very positive arc, but I did need to put my head down and work really hard to get to that point. Yeah, so I would say to sum up what I just said there, I paid attention while I was in a position that I didn't like to the things that I was interested in surrounding me. 
And then when the time was right, I moved into a job that allowed me to do those things. Yeah, I think it's so nice that you went from a more of a business position to more creative position. I think so many people are so scared to do this because perhaps mm -hmm. it's not going to be so profitable or they're not going to be, I mean, they like the job, but sometimes it's just not going to work for them because it yeah. kind of can be like harder or something. I think that's, it's really cool that you found yourself and do you think therapy really helped you find yourself in that? Yeah. <laughs> you can't see me, but I'm like nodding heavily. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> therapy. Um, I have, I've, this is what I say now to people now that I've like left the corporate world and started my own studio. Like I have always been an artist. I was just afraid to do something about it. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I, spent all of my time growing up painting and drawing. I, you know, I, there were a few of my paintings that were like in galleries and stuff when I was in college. And even then I was just like, it's a hobby. It's a hobby. Like I can't do anything about it. Um, and then, you know, I, I really put that to the test when I graduated and went into the business side of a creative industry. And I just magnetically got pulled back into the creation side of it. Like I can't, I could not stay away from it um, because it's what I like and it's also what I'm good at. So I, you know, find, I, it's, it's nice though, because if I didn't have that um, business background, I think that a lot of like starting your own creative business would be more difficult, but um, yeah, so I, I think that for, for many reasons, you might be nervous to switch to something more creative or to leave something more creative for, um, a more business oriented position, but those skills are transferable. Like that's the biggest thing that I've learned is that it's not like I'm leaving something behind to do something else. I'm taking all of what I learned there and I'm using it to do this other thing. Yeah, all experiences um, are valid for exactly. you to, yeah. Yeah, so I, I was I was afraid to do, to do what I'm doing now, but I think I've always known that this is where I was headed um, and just kind of afraid to go there. Yeah, I mean, eventually, like, your gut is always going to be pointing you in the right direction. It's just a matter of whether or not you yes. believe in it enough to do something about it. Yes, and I think you get more confident if you work in yourself. I, sometimes 100%. you can be like so scared. And then people love to give you their opinions on your life. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And I think that something that so many people say today that it's so screwed up, in my opinion, is that you cannot turn your hobby into your job. Because yeah. otherwise, like your hobby is just not going to be your hobby anymore or something. But yeah. And then what? You have to work for the rest of your life in something that you hate. Like, I don't I mean, understand. Here, here's the thing. I am. <laughs> we could we could then parlay this, parlay this into a conversation about capitalism and why I hate it so much. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think that I grew up, probably you grew up and a lot of people listening grew up under the um, belief that 
work needs to be hard. Work needs to feel hard. That's still something I'm struggling with today. Like I'll, I'll talk to my therapist a lot about this, but you know, I'm like, yeah, me too. my job doesn't feel like work. Like I'm just sitting here making things that I like, like a dumbass, And I'm selling them like a dumbass. Like it doesn't feel real to me. And she's like, but why, why? Because it feels better. Like, you know, the fact that you don't have to grind so hard to get through the day makes it less valid. No, that's not, that's not real. That's just how I've perceived it up to that point. And I think like getting my mental health in check, looking at what I have going on, it makes sense that I would have conflated those two things because I've always had to work really, really hard. That's what happens when you've got, you know, a mental handicap. Like I've always been really high functioning. I've always had to work super hard. And so when it feels like you're not working hard, you feel like you're slacking or you're doing something wrong or it's your fault. But that might just be that you're finding your groove and you're figuring out which path in life makes more sense to you. Um, and it can feel really scary to do that. Like I say that to you as I'm trying to start my own business and being very scared by it all the time. Um, but would I go back? No. I'm very happy for my experiences and they taught me what I know now. And, you know, you just got to keep moving forward, I think. So finally, I, I think you kind of just answered this, but okay. I don't know, maybe you have a different thing to say, but which advice would you give to someone that is in a toxic work environment right now? Okay. So I'm going to speak to you as if you were me, because there were so many instances when I worked at Vogue, when I would just like, like, as you said earlier, come home crying, or maybe not even come home crying. Like the, the <laughs> I could probably name to you the, the street coordinates, the many street coordinates in this city where I have cried publicly. Like it was not cute for yeah, a pretty, same. For I can't a remember all the situations that I cried. Yeah. Literally I'm like that corner, that corner, that corner, that cab, that street. Like I remember it all. And I was absolutely desperate for any kind of like reprieve or relief from it. And so what I would say is if you are currently in a toxic work environment, it is absolutely not a failure or not a sign of your own weakness to start to plan a way out. Like it is not. And it's okay to leave a toxic work environment behind, even though you might feel like it's your fault that you couldn't keep up. Like, that's how I was, that's how I felt all the time at work. It's just, I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I can't, because they're always raising the bar to an impossible level so that you can never ever achieve perfection. That's what, that's what a toxic work environment is like. And you're, it, it will feel like garbage to break that cycle, but it's the right thing for you. Like I felt super self-conscious about leaving it behind. I felt like I was simultaneously making the best decision and the worst decision. 
it's very difficult to see a world outside of a work environment if it's super toxic. And there very much is one. And if you feel like your world is collapsing in on you, you can find a way out and it's fine to find a way out. Like that's, there's no shame in it. Um, Sometimes you just outgrow the shoe that you're in or it's the wrong shoe and it's okay. Like, it's fine. Like, I, that's really what I needed someone to tell me as say that it's fine. It is okay to feel like this. It's not your fault either. You can learn from this and you'll get better from this. Because I did. So that's what I would say. That those are the, that is exactly what I would tell myself. That it's going to be fine. Just listen to your gut. And don't blame yourself because it's really not your fault. You know, like the only way we can improve toxic workspaces is to first reveal that they are toxic and then to talk about it. So you might be the first person to identify your workspace as toxic. And that doesn't mean it's your fault. That just means you might be the first person that's got the guts to do something about it. Yeah, and it might be very difficult to leave, but once you do, right. it will 100% set you free. Like, oh, yeah, and also, so much better. I will say that there are so many people commenting on my TikToks telling me that I am wrong for thinking the way that I do, that I should have stayed, that how dare I. So there's always going to be this opposition in the world, like to the way that you oh, might yeah. feel. It, it's, it's everywhere. It doesn't make how you feel any less valid. In fact, it makes it more valid. Like the fact that, you know, some random guy who's five times my age is so pressed that I'm concerned about work-life balance. There's always going to be a naysayer. That doesn't mean that you don't feel the way that you do and that it's not completely within your right to act on it. I, I think on a very real level, I always knew that I was heading in this direction and I was just really afraid to go for it. So whether that's leaving your current work environment or opening up your own business or open or leaving a relationship or whatever it is, your gut's usually right. And it's just about you believing in it enough to follow through with it. So thank you so much for coming to the podcast. I love of chatting course. with you. I love your perspective that you really have to leave the situation that is making you feel like shit because people, some people actually say, oh no, you don't have to, you just have to yeah. give it time. You just, I, I, if you can leave, leave. But also here's the thing. If in your gut, you say the situation is so bad, but I really want to give it time, then do that. The, the point is like, yeah. you, you have to really look inside because it's going to feel bad if you go against what you actually want to do. Um, and sometimes situations will not improve just by virtue of you trying, you know, you have to know when it's when it's not right to walk away um and also i would love to reiterate 
to anyone listening that my style, my personality, my life, my experience in the fashion world and my overall happiness skyrocketed after I left Vogue. Would I do it again? Yeah, for that reason only, because tough situations do make you tougher and better and you'll flourish in the end. It's just about finding your way out of it. So where can people find you online? If, I don't know, maybe they want to chat with you about toxic work environment, they <laughs> want some advice. Okay, so you can find me. Um, first, go to my studio because that's where all of my um, effort is. So my yes. studio is called Studio VVGG. It's literally just the word studio and then the letters VV and GG. That's an acronym for Vivian Georgina, which is my cast name. So there's a story <laughs> behind it. that, but thanks. <laughs> so studiovvgg.com, you'll find all the stuff um, that's currently for sale, or if you want to do custom, or if you want to do business, you can submit inquiries through there. You can also find me on TikTok. Uh, which is how I got on this podcast and Instagram, <laughs> which is both, they're both my name, which is Elena Bell. And it's with a period in the middle. But yeah, if you find me on TikTok, there's a 50% chance of talking about fashion and there's a 50% chance I'm doing something stupid. So that's what you've got going on there. If you want to do art and pretty stuff, you can find me over at the studio or both. Honestly, you're going to, you're going to get me at both. So, and I'm happy to talk to literally anybody that is, that needs advice um, just on work environments or whatever. I, I say this because I really needed advice and I didn't have it. So I'm happy to talk to anyone that, you know, feels like a third party might be an interesting perspective. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm like, I'm so happy that you reached out and I'm so happy that all of you are listening. Thank you. I hope that you're all doing okay. And I hope that um, you enjoyed this. Okay, guys, so thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed. As always, all of the links are in the description, such as Elena's personal account and Studio VVGG. And um, I don't know, just check her out. She is open. Her DMs are open for any questions. And I hope to see you here back for next week's episode. Bye, guys.